0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. I want to start this morning by asking a question, and that question is: What are the qualities that come into your mind, into your thinking, the moment when you think of someone who is successful? Who? What are some of the qualities of a successful person or a successful life? And I might be so uh, maybe ahead of you in giving this some thought that oftentimes when we think of success in a person or someone's life, we think that it is of someone who has achieved some sort of great wealth or has made a great name for themselves. They have made a mark on this world and therefore they are successful. Someone, maybe we think, maybe they have the great ability to communicate or they have certain giftings that just allow them to rise above and to be influential and helpful. They're able to motivate and inspire others and help others in various areas. Maybe it's a successful person is someone who who, is able to make the difficult and the hard decisions. They're able to have great wisdom and they make those decisions and are unwavering in their wisdom of those decisions. Maybe it's somebody who isn't paralyzed by the setbacks and the mistakes in their lives and and instead they're able to forge ahead. And then maybe we even get an image of what we think success might look like, and here just might be some of those images of people uh, that we may think are rather successful, whether it be professional athletes or people in the entertainment in- industry, people who have arrived at the top of their game and have made a great name for themselves, and there's great notoriety because of them. Maybe it's because they've made top dollars in sales or in motivating people, or, or maybe it's come through the entertainment industry that, that they've been able to make people laugh, Make people cry, and there 's fame and there 's fortune that goes with all of these different people maybe it 's in the area of politics that that these people have risen to certain levels of success maybe it 's world changers, people making a difference in our world, whether it 's in science, technology, politics, medicine, people in business who have achieved great things and, and great success and we say Th- that is a successful person that is a life that has been blessed that is a blessed blessed life that that person is living. And his parents, and even for Shayon and Natalie as they leave, and sometimes we can feel like there are our kids and, and we can be their parents, but for kids, uh, for, for parents and for grand, grandparents, even today, we want our children, we want our grandchildren, we want those around us that we know and love within the body of Christ here. We want our kids and our teenagers to succeed and to live a blessed life. We want them to be strong and confident. We want them to be independent, but we also want them to be nurturing in relationships and, and, and encourage healthy relationships in their lives. And And, and so we have these different images of what true success and, and a blessed life looks like, and, and, and so we want to press these into our kids. We want to lead them in the right way, and, and we pray this, and, and, and parents or grandparents pray this over their children, and yet I think of so oftentimes when it comes to what is true success for a child or a grandchild or for any of us, we would have to side with the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, who said these words in Third John, he says, and, and he just exposed his father's heart here, and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth you see god 's Word defines a, a blessed life and a successful life and a successful person much differently. Oh, I pray that our desire our heart's desire for the next generation and for the next generations yet to come, oh, that they would be people who would love the truth and would walk in the truth that that would be our greatest desire and our greatest prayer more than that of being a success in in areas of business or in areas of relationships or in areas of academics or sports or whatever it might be that our children, that for us, we would set that example of walking in the truth, that our children, grandchildren, those in our care would be people who would walk in the truth. If you don't have that, you have nothing. And it comes down to the truth that that is what a blessed life is really all about. You see one of the characteristics that I am sure probably did not come to the forefront of any of our minds when it talks when we think about a, a blessed life or a successful life, one of those characteristic qualities that probably i mean none of us necessarily thought of right off but we 're going to be talking about today, and it definitely is not a sign of success or blessing here in our life but here in in Matthew chapter five in verse five, Jesus outlines to us what a blessed life looks like. He's talking about what true greatness, eternal greatness, a life that will make a difference, a life that is blessed, is really all about. And he's talking blessed here nine times in eight verses about the heavenly standard of blessing, a truly happy life, a peace-filled life, a life that has experiencing true joy, experiencing salvation, the approval of God, The promise of eternal life. He says, this is what I mean when I talk about a blessed life. And a blessed life by heaven's standards is so different than what we will automatically think a blessed life ought to look like. You see, Jesus' description of true greatness was this, and we're going to pick it up in verse 3. We're going to look at a few of the verses we've already looked at. Jesus describing what a blessed, approved by God life looks like. Verse 3, blessed Or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And here's our verse for today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus' description of a blessed life is so different. He's saying a blessed life is somebody who is poor, poor in spirit. Somebody who mourns, mourns over their sin. Someone who is meek. Someone who is gentle. Someone who is not out for ultimate power and authority and to be heard in their agenda. You see, in so many ways when we hear this, this doesn't make sense because the last thing that we think of when it comes to a successful person or what we want to be labeled as necessarily in the world is being meek. Meek has a bad rub. Meek has a bad sound. A meek person will get taken advantage of. They will get trampled on. And yet Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth and when we think of the inheriting the earth and those that are making their millions and those that are making them a great name for themselves, we oftentimes don't see them as very meek, do we? We see there's, there's a lot of ego, there's a lot of pride, there's a lot of arrogance that goes with that kind of lifestyle, it would seem. And so Jesus is saying that we need or what we need to understand is get a Jesus perspective or a biblical understanding of what the word meek is really all about, that Jesus is talking about here. And folks, this is important. This isn't something we just can gloss over and think, ah, it's not important. It's vital. Meekness is a vital characteristic trait in the child of God. And so we're going to kind of dig through this about what true meekness really is. What is true meekness? I'd encourage you to write this down and, and, and just as always this afternoon as the, services, as the message is uploaded on the website, these notes will also be uploaded for one week. The notes will be, the, the messages are there forever, it would seem, but the, um, the notes are available one week for you so in case you miss something, but I encourage you to be writing these down. True meekness, first of all, Write down, it's not what you think. It's not what we automatically think of when we think of meekness. Now, when you study the word of God, you always need to c- continue to remember the context. What is the context that, that we're reading this verse in? And I just want to talk about that context just to remind you of these truths of, of how Jesus came about saying this. Jesus was giving the greatest sermon ever. It was the Sermon on the Mount. And this, he, he was giving it to his disciples with his eyes on who? His eyes on the crowds, on the multitudes, that's right. And so Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but his heart are for the people, the the hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people that were gathered there and listening to Jesus. Because after all, this was in a season of Jesus' popularity. This was the year of popularity where the crowds were coming, tens, hundreds, and even thousands, and even at times, no doubt, tens of thousands of people at one time coming to him to hear him, to see him, to, to... receive a miracle from him. And so there was all this excitement and popularity and the certain buzz in the air. And, and, and the Jews were so excited they could not wait for this. this was, the, was this indeed the long-awaited Messiah? There had been so many other false messiahs, but there was no guy like this Jesus performing miracles and even having the pronouncement earlier of John the Baptist and what John the Baptist had to say about him. Is this the Messiah who is going to come finally and he's going to deliver us from the Roman occupation? You see, at this time, the Roman Roman regime or the Roman government was basically at its largest point. It was powerful and it held the Jews under their thumb and they had the promises from the prophets that one day this Jerusalem would be restored, that their land would be given back, Messiah would come, and everything would be so different. And so they were hoping, they were praying and thinking, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. He's going to be the one. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know if he's going to gather us as an army and we're going to take on the Romans or if he's going to do through some miraculous activity, you know, just swallow them all up into the ground somehow in some kind of earthquake and they be gone. Who knows? Who cares? This is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to deliver us and we're going to have, we're going to inherit the earth. We're going to have the land back. We're going to establish our city and our name and our reputation and our wealth and our resources. It's all going to happen. And so in this vein of excitement and, and, and questioning and, and hopefulness that Jesus was the guy, Jesus comes along as this miracle man, this teacher, and. What does he have to say? He says, blessed are the meek. We don't want a meek leader. We want someone who's strong. We want somebody who's confident. We're gonna, we want somebody to right the wrongs. We want somebody to, 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 to really stick it to those Romans who have been stick... We've been their slaves and their servants long enough. Our taxes that we're paying to them, enough we're sick and... T- we need someone who's going to make real change. And yet... They were hoping and thinking Jesus was the real deal, but yet Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I'm sure when they heard this, it's like, what? Are you kidding me? The meek will inherit the earth? No, it's the Romans. It's the powerful. It's the rich. It's those with the authority. They're the ones that are inheriting the earth all around us. What is he talking about? We have nothing. They wanted to hear, blessed are the strong, the powerful, the confident, the mighty. But here's something we also need to learn about true meekness. Understand this, meek is not weak. Get that through your head. Meek is not weak. You see, meekness can easily get a bad rap because we just think that it's being a coward or being a wimp or or just being a pushover or we're spineless or we're timid. or It's just the willingness to have peace at any cost. Do you know someone like that? They're just willing to, to, to just buckle and to bend and just to say, no, you know, it's just if, you, if that's what you want to do, that's not being meek. That's being a wimp. That's being a pushover. That's not what meekness is all about. It doesn't mean being wishy-washy or lacking confidence or, or even shyness or, you know, uh, you know, or a word to describe an introverted person. You know, they're just rather meek. They just don't want to talk. They're, they're just like a little mouse, just a little chirping here, you know, not saying. That's not what meekness is about. It's not simply being just easy going, you know, easy come, you know, super chill, you know, kind of laid back. Sort of, that's not meekness either. True biblical meekness, it's more of a position of the heart. It starts in the heart. And the second thing that we see in here is that true meekness is power or strength under control. Meekness can also be translated, and sometimes it is, as gentle or gentleness. It's gentleness. It's power, it's strength, but it's under control. In classical Greek description of this word, and this can be a difficult word at times to translate, we may have some examples of it. It is like a powerful yet a tame animal. Or a soothing medicine. Powerful medicine given in the right dosage can be so soothing and healing. Or like a gentle breeze, now, wind can be mighty and powerful, and even last, last Sunday, after the baptisms and everything, we went home, we had that nice windstorm at about 2 in the morning, and, and we were up covering the hatches, making sure, you know, nothing's going to blow away in our yard or whatever. Woke up in the morning, I should have had a picture of this, it was amazing. Our ba- basketball hoop ended up going over in the wind, and the truck was parked underneath it, and those basketball hoops are rather uh, heavy, and miraculously and thankfully, the thing just landed right in front of our truck and sparing that and, and thankfully and miraculously my father-in-law was out to build me a new new platform because I'm yeah, not so good when it comes to building some of those kind of things. But a storm can be so powerful and damaging and yet meekness, gentleness is like a soothing breeze that cools you on a hot day. You see, some other ways of, of trying to understand meekness is is great power and great great strength, but it's not self-asserted. It's a willingness to put ourselves under, to put ourselves below others and allow the agenda of others to rise above. It means that there is a certain ease with people and a faith and a confidence in God to be faithful. A gentleness and a love knowing that I'm not better than they are. It's an understanding of who we really are. And when you look at the Old Testament, you see some incredible leaders, some of the greatest leaders that we have in in the Old Testament. We see people like Moses. Moses, a strong, mighty, powerful leader who stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And yet, on the other hand, Moses, it was said of him in Numbers chapter 12 that God said about him, he's the meekest man. Actually, meekest man in the face of the earth. Powerful, confident leader, and yet... Under control, under control of the Holy Spirit. You think of David in First Samuel 24 when King Saul was hunting him down and trying to chase him and trying to kill him and destroy him because of jealousy. And, 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 and so David and, and his mighty men, he, he was on the move, he was on the run. And then there was an opportunity one night, you'll see in in, in 1 Samuel 24, where he had an opportunity to, to kill Saul. And he had opportunity, he had encouragement from his soldiers around him, he had the right to do it, because what Saul was doing was wrong, and David was supposed to take the throne anyways, and so he was to do all of this. And so he had the power to do it, he had the right to do it, he had the encouragement, the opportunity was right there. And what did he say? No, that's he was exercising meekness, a gentleness. He says, I will let God take care of him. God told me not to touch his anointed and I won't do so. There's so many other examples like this in, in the Bible and especially then in the New Testament. Jesus is the ultimate example of meekness. Jesus said in Matthew 11:29, 29, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest to your soul. He's like, saddle up next to me. Hook yourself next to me and learn from me. And so Jesus sets the example of of somebody who personified this example of meekness. He practiced it in his life. He did not retaliate when he was falsely accused. He didn't come across with vindictiveness when, when he was unfairly treated, when he was mocked and beaten and spit upon. He remained silent, not defending himself. When Judas betrayed him, His own disciple had been with him for three years, had betrayed him. He still called him friend. When his disciples abandoned him, he later pursued them to forgive them. When he hung on the cross and he looked at his his accusers and the ones that put him on the cross, and what did he say? He could have lashed out. He could have had them killed. He could have had them destroyed. He could have had a legion of angels come and just wipe them all out. And he says, Father, forgive them. Power. The mighty, powerful God of the universe expressing this gentleness and this meekness. But he wasn't always a pushover. And he wasn't a pushover in these situations, though some may think he was. Jesus sharply rebuked and confronted the religious leaders. You see, when it came to issues of faith and the welfare of others, Jesus jumped in. Not to defend himself. Not to vindicate himself, but for the welfare of others, Jesus jumped in and he did so willingly. He did it because of the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were just heaping burdens upon the people. He gave it to his own disciples when the children were wanting to come to him and they were hindering him and, and he, he gave it to them and said, no, don't hinder the kids for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and, and we can learn so much from that. And, 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 and we see in, in other situations where His dear friend, his dear friend Peter, close friend. Jesus didn't back away from calling him Satan at one point when he was trying to deter Jesus from going to the cross from the mission that God had called him to do. So Jesus, though he was meek, he was also strong and he was confident. When he deserved the place and the position of honor, what did Jesus do? He washed the disciples' feet. Rather than having his feet washed, he washed those. He took the role of a servant. You see, Jesus taught by paradox. And he lived by paradox. This is why this whole message series is called an upside-down kingdom. Because in Jesus' teaching and in his life, he teaches us. And as we see here, but some of these paradoxes that we see in the word of God is, and that Jesus lived, was death brings life. When you give, you receive. Through weakness, there is strength. The last will be first. The least will be the greatest. The poor are the rich. And here he's saying, the meek, they'll get it all. They'll inherit the earth. Theirs is the earth. They will one day inherit it. What an inheritance it will be. They are the rich ones, those who are meek. And here's something else about meekness. It's impossible to achieve it on your own. Don't worry, we're not going to have some kind of classes in the fall, you know, here at Harvest, Meekness 101, and then after you've passed a certain test, we'll take you to Meekness 201 and, and kind of elevate it like that. This isn't a discipline that you could just simply achieve by trying harder and doing better. It's not like going to the gym and, and, and getting faster, stronger, better in these kind of things. It's not just learning the right lingo and the right words and the, and the accompanying actions that go with that. It's so much more than that. Meekness is supernatural. It is a gift that comes from God. It is a gift of the a gift that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. You see, people are not naturally, we're not born meek. Yes, there are certain personalities that have a bent towards meekness and gentleness, but not the spiritual fruit of meekness. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where we see what are the fruit of the Spirit, and this is something that is to be evident in every believer of Jesus Christ, that the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that Christ is in you, that the Holy Spirit is in you, is that there is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness or meekness and self-control. Meekness is one of those. And it comes as a gift of the Holy Spirit. There's one biblical... And it's true biblically that Jesus gave this or mentions this as meekness as a gift from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, meekness, like what Jesus has demonstrates and calls us towards here, comes only from a heart that has been reborn by God. You see, you have to notice the progression if you look at verses three and verses four, and now verses five there in Matthew chapter five of the Beatitudes. You see, they're just not placed randomly. He's not just picking things out of thin air. Like, oh yeah, and blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. No, there's a progression here. You see, true meekness, strength under control, is deposited into the life of the person who, first of all, has a poverty of spirit. Recognizes that there is nothing, I, I bring nothing to God. Like that old hymn that we're repeating week after week in our messages. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. There is nothing that we could do, nothing we could say to earn us a right standing and favor towards God. No great heritage, no great accomplishment, no big check that's given or, or, or leading all these people to Jesus Christ can establish you as a child of Jesus Christ. It comes as we understand we are poverty, we are broke, we are bankrupt, we have nothing in the bank spiritually that God would even look upon us. And second of all, that next beatitude is, is understanding that the, our sinfulness, that we are weak and vile sinners, that we often fall short daily, at times hourly. It's knowing this and mourning over our sin. It's looking at our sin and being sick about our sin. And mourning and wailing and ask, confessing and repenting of our sin. You see, the meek person is not someone who is proud of themselves and their accomplishments. There's no sense of glory in and of themselves. If you ever, and I'll be honest here, there are times in my heart of hearts where I think, boy, God's pretty lucky to have me. You know, a faithful pastor, trying to, you know, preach the word of God. That is such a proud and arrogant kind of thing because everything that God has given is from Him. But there's times that this creeps up this this desire to be approved by others and to be affirmed by others. And, and it's not wrong to encourage and to affirm others. But if that's what we're living for, that's wrong. Encouragement and and affirmation is a good thing, and I trust that this would be a loving, encouraging, affirming church. But if we are just listening and waiting for the applause of others, and we start thinking about ourselves, God could just wipe any one of us out just instantly. And you know what will happen? This church will continue on. God's work in this world will not crumble. And he's like, oh, boy, didn't see this coming. What am I going to do now? Oh, lost my main guy. Give me a break. We can get such a high view of ourselves and we can easily just think, wow, if it wasn't for me writing that check, if it wasn't for me serving in that ministry, if it wasn't for me doing this or that, or oh, would we just be done with that kind of thinking and see our sin and just see the poverty that's there and that God would allow me and choose me and, 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 and forgive me and lovely. And yet, folks, I know what I'm saying here. This is flying in the face of popular psychology. And even certain elements of Christianity that says, assert yourself, be strong, be powerful, be mighty. And Jesus says, no, be weak, be mournful, be sorry for your sin. You see, we are reborn and the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are planted into our soul. They're planted into our life in seed form because none of us have arrived yet. It arrives, it comes into our life when we turn from our sin and our pride and see the poverty in our heart. We turn from our own agenda and surrender our lives completely, completely to him. And we place our confidence in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It's receiving his righteousness for our unrighteousness knowing that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, something we're going to be doing in a few moments here as we remember the Lord's Supper, that he paid the penalty for our sins. But then he rose in victory three days later so that the power of sin and death have been canceled for all who turn and trust to him, have the promise of forgiveness, guilt wiped away, condemnation gone, eternal life, yes. And it only comes... As we are poor in spirit and recognize that poverty, we mourn over our sins and we pursue meekness as a lifestyle. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, meekness is a humble and gentle attitude towards others, which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. When we truly understand who we are, we can have a kindness and an even playing field for those around us. Oh, Gone must be the days of comparison, of looking at ourselves and looking at, at others. As you're doing that, your nose just gets longer and longer as you're looking down, the shadows that you cast as you look down and elevate yourself. And we try to do that to feel good about ourselves, and it's, it's awful. And we can do that so easily, and that's why we daily need to keep coming towards the thro- thro- throne of grace. It's not simply learning the right lingo and saying the right things and, and, and being involved in the right activities and, the, and with the actions that accompany it, you know, saying, hmm, amen, at the right time. It's not learning all those kind of things. It's from that deep heart that is being changed and transformed from within. And I need to say this this morning. This is heavy. But folks, it's important. Eternity. This is about eternity. And this is about your life. And this is about your testimony. And it's about true greatness. And it's about the true greatness of the next generation and the next generation. And, and, and about the true greatness and the blessed life of those in this city, this region, our nation. This is so important. And folks, we have, I have to say this. And I say it carefully. And I'm saying it to each one of us individually. And so I'm saying it to myself as well. And you cannot, as you sit here, apply this to anyone else in this room or anyone outside of this room that automatically you're thinking and say, boy, I sure wish they'd hear this right now. Cancel that kind of thinking. This is self-examination. And so as you look at your heart this morning, as Melden Lutzer looks at his heart this morning, if we don't see a biblical meekness, a gentleness towards others that is growing in our lives, it may be in seed form, but if it's not growing, but rather we see guilt-motivated actions and responses. We see ourselves looking down upon others to raise us up. In either trying to keep the peace at any cost or portray the right image in our lives. And even though you may have made a decision in the past and prayed a prayer and even were baptized, maybe you've served the Lord in many ways for many years and you've learned the right lingo, but if in our hearts, if, if there is not a softness towards the plight of others growing and developing in us, if it's God's will, if God's will is not our ultimate desire rather than God get with my will and with my plan and my agenda, or if it's God's kingdom is not our passion, instead the world is and achieving all the world's accomplishments and greatness Or if God's glory is not what motivates me, but it is my glory and getting more of that is what motivates me. If these are any possibilities in our life, there may be a very very real possibility that God's kingdom does not belong to you yet. If there is not a growing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, including meekness in our lives. Or maybe you are a believer, but I want us to examine our lives, but maybe you're in a, just a terrible pattern of pride and selfishness right now and being disobedient to the call of God. Repent of that today and return home to Him. Come with that poverty of spirit, that mourning over my sin, And asking God to build this meekness, this gentleness, this strength under control like we see in the life of Jesus into our lives. You see, I have biblical basis to believe this. Psalm 149 verse 4 says, only the meek are saved. It's only meek people who are saved. And James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but his grace comes to the humble. The grace comes to those who are meek. And when we're filled with pride and our own agenda and our own accomplishments and that's what we're living and that's what we're going for, that's pride. And God says he opposes that. Oh, may God just crush the pride and our self-will and bring us to the end of ourselves so we would see ourselves and see the poverty in our spirits mourn over our sin. You see, meekness is not wimpiness. Meekness is not weakness. It's Power and gentleness under the control of the Holy Spirit—it's it, what Psalm 37 is actually. You get a great picture of of this in Psalm 37. Actually, Jesus even quotes from Psalm 37. This is where what Jesus is saying here in Chapter 5, verse 5 of of Matthew. This is where it, it is in verse 11, then of Chapter 37. I encourage you to look at this at home, and and there's going to be some things that you can see in this. This psalmist even says, the meek will inherit the land. And so in these verses, though, and I like the way John Piper summarized this, uh, uh, this passage in just a beautiful way. And, and, and so I just share this with you here this morning, encourage it again, write this down, th- these next few steps. Meek people, the portrait of a meek person is they trust God. They're people who trust in God. They believe that God is faithful, he's been faithful in the past, and we can apply his faithfulness to the present and to our future situations. And so meek people believe and they trust in God, even when opposed, even through hardships and trials, knowing that God one day will bring us through, that God one day will vindicate. The second thing about meek people, a portrait we see here, is that they commit their way to God. That word for commit, encourage you to write this down, I just love it, as John Piper put it, it means to roll things over to God. Meek people roll their troubles over to God, their burdens, their relationships, their health, their businesses, their finances... Those frustrations that you're facing in life, those complexities and those obstacles, we're just rolling them over to God. God, I trust you. You are faithful. You're faithful in the past. You're going to be faithful in the present. I trust you to be faithful in the future. I trust in you. Now, I roll this over to you, God. What do you need to roll over to him today? Who do you need to roll over to him today? And I'm sure the list would be long. And then next, you see, wait patiently. Meek people wait patiently. Rest in the Lord, he says in verse 7. A quiet and steadfastness in the midst of upheaval, knowing that God will work. God will have the final say. See the injustice in your family, in the workplace, in certain situations. And there is a time to fight, and there's a time to, 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 to go to bat, but there's also a time to sit and wait for God. And that's where you need brothers and sisters in Christ to, to guide you and to encourage you and to pray with you to know when is it the time to move ahead and when is the time to back off. God's word is very clear in, in various situations that we face. Another element is they endure injustice. When, when we see the wicked prosper... When we see things that are happening in our world, we must refrain from from temper, from anger. When things aren't going right at work or in the life of the family and we're falsely accused or this or that or whatever is going on, we have to remember our God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And so we endure injustice and knowing that one day he will settle all accounts. And as he says in verse 11, he says, the meek will inherit the earth. I was talking to a dear friend, just in the last few days, betrayed and hurt and let down. Actually, probably not a week goes by that I have a conversation with someone within our church family, within the city, in other provinces, friends, coworkers, various people, in, in what people are experiencing and going through and experiencing in my own life and how oftentimes what we face and what we go through and what gets handed down to us at times can seem not right, not fair. And we have a choice to become bitter and angry but we don't. We don't give up. We, we take and we apply. We trust in God. We roll it over to him. We wait patiently and even at times enduring injustice and things that don't seem fair but knowing that God is faithful. God is faithful. First Peter 5.10 says, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What a promise. And the fourth thing as we wrap this up here this morning is meekness. True meekness leads to everlasting rewards, everlasting life. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, the rich, the powerful, right now we think are inheriting the earth. But remember, that's a little grain of sand. A little grain of sand that they get to experience that for here, for this time here on this earth. And and the things that we covet so much, even yesterday, just being out and about in the city a little bit between cars, houses, and boats. Seen Lamborghinis yesterday, Ferraris, Jags, uh, our kids' beautiful Saturn view that they drive. We see, you know, expensive boats worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. We see houses worth millions, and it's easy to be thinking, oh, it must be nice. Oh, it must be nice. It must be. That is inheriting the earth. That is something. Yesterday seeing Ronaldo and Messi, I think I'm saying that right, I'm not a real soccer guy, but I saw enough to see them lose, and you think, oh well, big deal, they're both racking in over a hundred million dollars this year in salary and endorsements, that's not hurting, so what, they didn't win. Again, we see them as successful, get that out of our mind, that's wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to burn one day, it's all going to be gone, names will be forgotten, only what we do for Christ will last And yet Jesus says, it is the meek who inherit the earth. We inherit the earth when we become broken and mourning over our sin and humble in heart, realizing that spiritual bankruptcy and we grieve over our sins. When you are a person pursuing that, there will be a literal earthly kingdom in your future. A kingdom that cannot be shaken, it won't be shaken. And that phrase, they will inherit the earth... That we see here, it is just, it's an incredibly strong statement, a, a, a figure of speech saying that God's people will get their fair and just reward. And can I give you a little secret? There's more in the account than you could ever imagine. The account is full of blessing waiting upon those who are meek people, who are mourning over their sin. And coming with a poverty of spirit. I have nothing and yet I possess everything the Apostle Paul says. I wonder today what kingdom are we pursuing? Life here and now? Or pursuing a life of meekness and gentleness under the control and power of the Holy Spirit?